The issues discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast do not reflect the opinions of any specific agency and are the views of the host or guest only. Any persons discussed may be fictional for comedic purposes. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. found out that I'm worthless. It's like, it's hopeless. It isn't going to get any better. No matter where I turn, there's no escape. The suffering is unbearable. And I'm absolutely no use whatsoever to anyone. It would be better for everyone if I was just gone. Everywhere I look, it's nothing but catastrophe. And there's, I can't see any way out of it. I, I can't see any path forward whatsoever. You are nothing. You are nobody. You don't even deserve to live. You constantly are told that you're not pretty enough and not tall enough and not skinny enough and people are better. And when you're young, you think that means I'm not good enough as a person. Ah, you know, black, white. Uh, I'm here, you're there. I'm this, you're that. Anytime you have a name, anytime you have a label, you have an inherent division. And the division inherently causes conflict. And the conflict will inevitably cause wars. We're taught to endure. We're not taught to say habla con todos or to speak with everyone or to share what's going on with you or to talk to me about your life. If you had heart problems and saw a cardiologist, well, everyone would be concerned about you and know you're doing better and it would be open and honest with the crew, anybody you no work stigma, with. Not yeah, weird. but the most complicated organ in your body, if you have a problem with it, suddenly there's a, we don't want to talk about that. No, and you can get over it. And that's what people need to realize. You can be cured. You can get past it. That's what we need to, need to realize. If you have depression, if you have anxiety, if you have post-traumatic stress disorder, if you have any kind of mental health condition, it's nothing to be ashamed of, and it's nothing to hide, and it's something to hit head on with. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having a mental health issue, either with yourself or with somebody that you love. You know, if you're going through a divorce right now, if you're going through a financial problem right now, if you're going through an illness right now, if you are going through any form of crisis right now. And so I want to share with you, you know, I've gone through a divorce and I've gone through some very painful times. And during those times, they were messy. And during those times, I got off my game at times. And during those times, I was confused. But more than anything else, during those times, I felt pain. Worst thing you can do is what society suggests that you do. Escape, get busy, 
forget about it. Lose yourself in work. Of course you have to work. Of course you have to show up. Your team needs you. Life needs you. Your family needs you. Life is for the living. I got it. But I don't believe that the answer to get through your pain is to escape in your pain. And too many people do that. And I've read the books that say to do that. You can't motivate yourself out of heartbreak. You've got to feel yourself through the heartbreak. I mean, I think it's that old Alanis, uh, the, the, the old Alanis Morissette song. The quickest way out is in. There are gifts in pain. There is glory in pain. That's how you develop the bravery. That's how you develop the humanity. Do not latch on to your, de your depression. Do not personally identify with your depression. See it as you see winter, and winter always leads to spring and summer again. See it as you see nighttime. Nighttime becomes daytime again. See it as you see the breaking down and the building up of your body, catabolic, anabolic. It is a process that's natural for spiritual evolution and physical evolution in the world. Um, there's one thing, one thing, that if you did every single day, no joke, it would make an extraordinary difference in whatever mental health issue you're struggling with, and that is exercise. Is you've got to exercise every day. And the reason you've got to exercise every day is because what we know about human beings is that when you physically move, your physiology changes, and that changes your brain. Getting your heart rate up, getting outside, breathing, feeling connected, getting out of your house, which may make you feel depressed and trapped. Doing that every day, that physical push. You don't have to run. You don't have to go to an aerobics class. Get outside with your dog in the woods. Walk with a good friend for two or three miles. Doing that every single day not only moves your body, which changes your mind, it gets you out of your physical environment, which is one of the things that people with depression tend to have a hard time doing, and it also creates a bit of momentum and a bit of a routine in your life. You take on just that single thing. Get outside and exercise every single day as if your life depends upon it, because you know what? It does. Your brain needs it, your body needs it, your mental health needs it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast. And now your host, Nick and Mike. The following is a blog entry written by Detective David Baumhofer. PTSD. No, you're not crazy. In this post, I'd like to set the record straight about what PTSD is and that you're not weak, crazy, or inadequate if you have it. I'm not an MD or mental health professional and don't claim to know everything about PTSD, but here is what I've learned so far. PTSD happens as a result of an actual change in your brain, which is caused by a traumatic event or events, which is why you can't control it and it's not your fault. The three parts most affected by trauma are 1. The thinking center, prefrontal cortex. This area is responsible for rational thinking, problem-solving, empathy, etc. If you have a teenager in the house, you should be familiar with this part not working correctly. 
Number two, the memory bank, hippocampus. This area files things away in your mental hard drive. When you're overwhelmingly traumatized, this part may code events incorrectly, thus causing memory issues. The thinking center and memory bank typically work closely together. Number three, the fight or flight calculator, amygdala. As a first responder, you're likely familiar with this part. When your brain is subjected to trauma, the amygdala, fight or flight calculator, is activated more than the other two parts. Symptoms of a hyperactive amygdala and PTSD are closely related and include chronic stress, guilt, anxiety, irritation, vigilance, fear, and lousy sleep patterns. Other symptoms of PTSD are brain fog or not being able to think clearly and the inability to control emotions. If these symptoms seem familiar, then it's time to put yourself in check. The point of therapy, such as EMDR, is to rewire and retrain your brain to effectively use all three areas more normally. In layman's terms, it helps to reconnect the parts of your brain that help you dump a memory correctly. My personal experiences with PTSD symptoms were no different. I also suffered from physical manifestations caused by stress associated with PTSD. Some may argue that doesn't happen. Well, they're wrong. Simple as that. Not long after Watt's sentencing hearing and cleaning up the case file, Christmas break was upon us. As a family, we typically go somewhere during this time just to get away from work and be in a warmer climate. As an avid classic car restorer and builder, I chose to spend half of the break in my garage in an attempt to decompress while my wife, Lori, and youngest daughter went on to Arizona. After working the Watts case every day for months, I was hoping that getting back to my hobbies would put some normalcy back in my life. While at home those few days, I noticed a bald spot on the top of my head that was about the size of a nickel. I didn't think much of it, as I believed it was the result of a welding spark landing on my head and burning my hair. When I arrived in Arizona three days later, I asked Lori to look at the spot. I was concerned because it didn't really feel like a burn and felt too smooth. She agreed it was weird, but said not to worry because my hair grows like a weed. Regardless, I wrote it off as a burn spot and didn't think too much about it. Being in Arizona those few days was nice, and I had regret for not going the entire trip. The climate and change of scenery was a good distraction. Getting away from everything felt rejuvenating, and when I returned to work after the New Year's holiday, I was ready to go. Or at least I thought I was. In reality, when I returned to work, I couldn't get into gear or focus on anything. I felt scattered and unable to concentrate. I knew part of the reason was because I didn't know the why part of the case and was having difficulty settling with that realization. Today, I know the main reason for my inability to concentrate was due to post-traumatic stress, a.k.a. shell shock. Well into January and February, the bald spot on my head slowly grew in size, and I knew it wasn't a burn spot. I continued to ask Lori to look at it. She took a picture to assure me it appeared as if new hair was sprouting in. By the time I went to Wisconsin in February, the spot had grown to about the size of a quarter. I began to wear a baseball cap everywhere I went because I was becoming self-conscious about it. I also became concerned about my health 
as I'd never had anything happen like this before. I decided to go get a blood panel and a checkup to see if there were some underlying medical conditions causing my hair loss. Everything in my workup was normal. After returning from Wisconsin on February 19th, my mental state was beyond shell shock. I thought I was going crazy, but I knew I had to keep it on the down low because it would affect my job status. Prior to the Watts case, I had completed numerous death investigations, including homicides, and they never affected me, less the investigations involving kids. I convinced myself I could handle it, and things would get better over time. When Lori asked me, on the morning of February 20th, what I was going to tell the Rusiks, the overwhelming wave of emotions included anger, sadness, and disbelief. Similar to how it feels when you suddenly lose someone who is close to you, which I have experienced more than once. Together with those emotions was knowing that what I was going to tell the Ruseks would profoundly hurt them again. That was the last thing I wanted to do, but I promised them I would tell them what Watts said. On one wall of my office, I had a large whiteboard I used to outline to-do items for my larger cases. After we arrested Watts, this whiteboard filled up with tasks I needed to complete. After Watts pled guilty, I erased the whiteboard as part of closing the case file. On February 20th, or the morning of the 21st, the actual time is fuzzy to me, I was in my office when I noticed the whiteboard was full of the same to-do items I had erased. I now know it was not, and I was experiencing one of many image flashbacks I'd had since the night of the 18th in Wisconsin. Fortunately, this one is less intrusive. More about flashbacks in a later post. I came to the realization that something wasn't right, and I should probably talk to someone about it. Not being able to keep control of my emotions was new to me, and it was scary that I couldn't. I sat in my office long enough to think about how I was going to minimize the issue before I spoke with the commander. I finally walked into his office and told him I thought I should talk to someone to help me process this case because I was having difficulty doing it alone. He was on it immediately, and my first visit occurred on the 21st. On my way to see my therapist, I told myself there is no way I'm going to open up to this lady unless I trusted her, and that was going to take a while. That's true to a degree, but when I walked in that day and she asked what was going on, I completely lost it. I couldn't control my emotions in front of a complete stranger, and I felt embarrassed, weak, and out of control all over again. I don't remember what we talked about that day, but I do remember feeling as if some of the pressure was off and I could literally breathe better. The following weekend, I came down with a cold or something similar. It was the first time I had been sick in years, and it caused me to miss the entire next week of work. Around this same time, depression set in, and I wasn't coping well. I had no desire to work or do anything but sleep and lay around the house, all while dealing with an uncontrollable wave of emotions. Over the next couple of weeks, I requested to continue with some time off work. I figured just being away for a while would get me back to normal. During this time is when I really understood why people who deal with mental health issues commit suicide, and that realization was frightening. Although I began to understand suicide, there were two reasons I never went any further with the thought. First, I've investigated numerous suicides in my career, which included death notifications. 
I would never put my family through the pain I've witnessed many times when I told someone their loved one had taken their own life. Second is my hatred for the evil that lives in people like Watts, and I'll never let it beat me. The evil that lives among us takes pride in destroying people, but it can kiss my ass. The last week of March was spring break, and we had previously planned a road trip to Arizona. Remembering the rejuvenating yet short December trip, I was looking forward to going. Logically, I knew I had to pull it together and get out of the dark place I was falling into. While in Arizona, we met some friends at a restaurant. I don't recall the name of it, but there were many types of exotic birds and cages all around. Looking at the birds was interesting and a great distraction while we waited for a table. About the time we were being seated, a family walked in behind me. When I heard the voice of a little girl, I turned around and saw two girls nearly identical in size and proportion to each other, as Bella and Celeste. My anxiety level spiked immediately, and as I walked past them to leave the restaurant, I began to have the same feelings I had experienced in my hotel room in Wisconsin on the eve of February 18th. Vivid images of Bella and Cece were going through my head, almost like a slideshow. After I calmed down a bit, I realized I was outside and thought everyone was probably wondering where I went. I started back into the restaurant and wrote the experience off as just another bad memory. I remember beelining to the table and avoided looking at anyone in the surrounding area. The table was situated near the back of the dining room, and I sat with my back to the crowd. This, in itself, felt conflicting with my back to a door and people I didn't know. Although I was cognizant of this, I was more focused on what was going on in my head. About halfway through dinner, I heard voices of who I presumed to be the same two girls who were now seated at a table behind me. The place was loud, so I could only hear them when they spoke over the crowd noise. I zoned out for a bit as I began to recall the videos Shannon had of the girls on her phone. It was the only time I had heard their voices. Lori reeled me back into a conversation at the table, and I tried to engage, but all I really wanted was to get away from that area as my anxiety level was climbing. As we were getting ready to leave, I noticed them again, and my anxiety was in the red. I don't recall much after that other than what I describe as a videotype flashback and Lori opening the passenger door of the car for me. All I wanted was to go home and be away from people. It wasn't long after we returned back to Colorado when I was diagnosed with PTSD and put on official medical leave and workman's comp status by the brass. Not long after that, the associated stress physically manifested. The bald spot on my head getting larger, coupled with feeling sickly, caused me to see the doctor who did the blood panel workup and also referred me to a dermatologist for my hair loss. After a few expensive and ineffective steroid injections in my scalp, my hair continued to fall out in patches. At the time, I figured I'd be out of work for only a few weeks and was concerned about being in court looking the way I did. The photo below shows my hair at the sentencing hearing, and the remaining photos are pretty much self-explanatory. Rapid weight loss accompanied my alopecia, and it didn't take long to drop 30 pounds, weighing in around 145 pounds at one point. Today, nearly a year later, both my hair and weight are back to normal, but I struggle with other symptoms associated with PTSD. As first responders, we're used to fixing things 
and moving on to the next problem to fix it. The realization of not being able to fix this when I thought it should be was difficult to accept. I'll stress again the importance of taking care of your mind if you're exposed to trauma. If you're repeatedly exposed to it, you're at a higher risk, but one event, like the Watts case, can cause PTSD. In the cop world, think about all the other people involved in your case or event. People like prosecutors, forensic interviewers, medical examiners, and of course, your family. The brass of many agencies are taking notice of this, but others aren't. It's time to fix it. Hey, folks, welcome to a special episode of The Roll Call Room. I am your host, Nick. Mike is not in studio today. I'm pretty excited about this uh, particular bonus episode. Uh, I have a really special guest uh, that's uh, agreed to come on. Uh, Dave, uh, welcome to the show. Dave, if uh, you want to introduce yourself. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Dave Baumover. Um I am a detective for the Frederick, Colorado Police Department, um, currently on medical leave, um, but still employed as a detective there. All right. Uh, so short backstory is, is uh, I'm always researching, always looking for uh, folks that are talking about PTSD, uh, folks that are talking about officer wellness, uh, specifically some stuff that I've gone through on the job, um, not nearly as much time on as, as you have, Dave. Um, and I came across your uh, blog, which is mental-armor.org. Um, and I was just absolutely blown away uh, by the stuff that you're blogging about uh, because I think it's extremely important for folks to hear. So I just want to tell you, thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, how long how long have you been on? Uh, on the job? Um, 20, about 20 years altogether. Um, you know, I've had some off and on periods, went back into civilian life and, you know, for a few years. Um, but, you know, as the police work is, it draws you back. So uh, came back and, uh, and that's, that's where, uh, where I'm at. Uh, so about 20 years total. Um, started in uh, 86, 1986 as a wow. cadet. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my first uh, my first police gig was literally right after high school uh, as a cadet at eighteen. Wow. Um, yeah. So. And then right into uh, I would imagine patrol officer. Yeah, I did uh, did some patrol uh, and then work detentions, um, uh, did gang intelligence, and then finally um, the last six seven years has been investigations. Okay, primarily um, like uh, homicides and and stuff like that. Well, at, at Frederick, because being a smaller agency, uh, you all encompassing. Yeah, yeah, it's all encompassed. You don't work one one set of cases or the other, so you get everything. So it doesn't matter if it's an SA case um, or a fraud case or a homicide. Um, I'm also part of obviously still on hold, or everything is on hold. But I'm also part of the uh, 19th Judicial Cert um, Team, the RAT Team, which is a task. Uh, force auto theft task force oh wow and then i was also part of the um, child fatality review committee which is like a state man mandated team um so all of that as part of my um, investigations background wow um so a, a smaller department um not really familiar with the with the size uh below 200 above 200 oh well below 200 <laughs> yeah okay all right Actually, uh, 
at the time, uh, it's it's there's more now, but at the time of this case, there was twenty officers. Wow. Yeah. 20. Okay. Twenty-four. Well, this falls right in because I get a lot of emails from folks that are like, when are you going to talk about smaller agencies? And I'm in an agency that's got, uh, you know, like 315 sworn. And that's me coming from the NYPD. This <laughs> is very small. So hearing somebody with 20, uh, wow, that's that. No wonder you're kind of catching cases as they come along. So that's that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, Dave, what brings you on the show? Well, I think we have a common goal, um, you know, and that's to, to bring awareness to the mental health concerns um, surrounding first responders. You know, and I um, and I want to try to get as much exposure as I can, mainly to to reach out to people that, that may just read what I'm writing and, you know, and just think, holy shit, that's, you know, that's me. Um, and, and then maybe do something uh, about it rather than just wondering if, if they're going crazy or whatever the issue may be. Yeah. And I, and I will say reading your blog that that has happened to me a couple of times, like reading your blog. I've, 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 um, I've experienced some of the stuff, not in, 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 in the large amount that you have, but it definitely is something that folks do need to read because there are warning signs. There are things that uh, you see that are pretty traumatizing on the job and you don't realize you're not going insane. It's just your, you know, it's just your brain is just, um, you know, experiencing uh, PTSD. So um, when you were on the job, um, what was the importance of self-care early on when, I mean, in the eighties, early nineties, I'm sure there wasn't very much, uh, very much, uh, self-care promotion going on, I would imagine. No, there was not. In fact, it was just the opposite. You know, in the eighties, the culture was, we don't talk about it and, you know, you just deal with it and move on, um, whatever that was. And the, usually that was, was just basically cramming it down, choking it down, whatever, and you never, you know, you never talk about it. Um, yeah. That's, you know, and growing up in this profession, that's the way it always was with me, with, with, with the exception of the last couple of years, maybe, I guess. Yeah. Um, Mostly supervisors or commanders saying, suck it up, move on. It's not yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Or the officers, you know, you work with, it was just, that was just the culture. You didn't, you know, if you had an issue with something, you know, or you're having a, issues with a call, you know, you just dealt with it on your own. You didn't discuss it with other officers. Right. At least I was. Um, Yeah. And that's, so there was nothing then, you know, but as uh, early on, I mean, I think going forward, obviously from here, um, the important thing is, you know, obviously don't let things build up and, and which is what I did and which is why I am where I am now. And, uh, you know, speak to someone, even, you know, someone anonymously, if you have to, you know, about some of the crap you just dealt with. Um, right. It's better than holding it in. It does, you know, whoever, if it's a peer support person, which is great that, you know, that a lot of those teams are coming together. And you know, so you can speak to someone you trust and then someone you work with or, you know, colleague. Um, I think that's great. I think that's, you know, that is important. Um, number one is probably is what that is. Um, just talk about it, you know, yeah. rather than just cramming it down and swallowing it and it doesn't work. Um, and but, you experienced that like later on in your career, um, big case. I'm sure folks are going to, you know, Google, uh, Google your name or, or Google who you are. Big, huge case. 
very very large uh, exposure, a lot of a uh, lot of eyes. Um, at the time going through it, self care I'm sure was not on your mind uh, at the time. I would imagine it would definitely was not. Um, and in fact, there was a debrief. Um, it it was actually the day of the autopsies, and and there was no way I was going to go to that for obvious reasons. Um, and so there was a second, uh, debrief and, you know, where you get the, you know, everybody gets together and you get the trauma counselors in and just to tell you what to be aware of, what to look for those types of things. But even at that point, uh, like many of previous conversations that we've had, all I wanted to do was get out of the room and go back to work. Um, right. and then especially in this case, um, and there was just so much to do. Uh, and, and the last thing I wanted to hear was, what was that? Was somebody tell me about take care of your mental health? Because um, I was more concerned about the family, you know, the, than than I was my own mental health at that point, and that's that was my focus. Yeah, and then compassion fatigue starts to set in too, because you're trying to absorb uh, the pain and suffering from the family that you're you're trying to get justice for. I would imagine, right? Exactly. Yes. Yep. So, um, case is over. Uh, cases adjudicated. At what point are are you? I know folks that read your blog will understand what I'm talking about. Um, there comes a point where you're like, I I got to take care of myself. I mean, was it a profound moment where you were like, something's obviously wrong? Where I need to I need to decompress. I need to talk to somebody. Yes, and and it was uh, it was you know it was after the. For the listeners, it was it was the Watts homicide case, um, and it was after the uh, February eighteenth, I guess, interview or meeting we had with him up in Wisconsin. Um, it was later that evening is when things went really bad for me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, but there, but there were along the lines. There were like there were little little signs, little things. Uh, you know, they were kind of picking at me because for, for a while there was, I really wasn't understanding what was going on. You know, there were flashbacks I was having and, and I didn't know what it was. And, and I didn't, prior to this, I never believed in PTSD. I thought that was just the term for people that were too weak to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, that was just how I, I, I mean, that's, that's what I grew up with. If you didn't, you know, if you weren't strong enough, then get out. Um, obviously today I don't think that at all. Right. But, right. Cause, uh, you know, when they tell you it sneaks in and, and it does, it sneaks in and gets you. Um, it, you know, there was, there was a point where I finally realized um, that this wasn't just going to go away with a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I finally walked in and uh, to my commander and just told him I having a difficulty processing this case um, now that it's over. And I just maybe, you know, need to talk to somebody about, how to get through it. You know, I minimized it, what, what the issues were and the issues I was having. Um, and I just, you know, for obvious reasons, I didn't want, I didn't want to, you know, disclose what was all going on at that time. So, and they were pretty understanding, I would imagine. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The town's been great. Um, this this whole thing, very supportive. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing right now. The the issues that we're having in this profession is, is that 
we need to mimic like your agency's response to you coming forward and getting help because I think the majority of the agencies that are out there really don't, I don't think they really know how to handle that when somebody walks into your office and says, hey, I'm, I'm not doing real good right now. Right. Um, your, your advice to an agency that's, that's struggling with that, what would your advice be to them? To as far as the whole agency struggling with that? Yeah. Yeah. What would, I mean, your recommendation for somebody that comes forward and says, Hey, listen, I just got done working a, a, a pretty major case or, or not even a major case, just a scene that was just some trauma involved with it. What would your, what would your advice be to the sergeant or the lieutenant or the captain listening to this? Um, what would be the advice that you would give them that was comforting to you to hear uh, while you were going through that? Um, well, for me, it was uh, my experience for me was the, the, uh, the commander, my commander who I talked to, I've known for years. We worked together for years. Um, so I knew, I kind of knew what to expect from him, but if, but in a larger agency, you know, you may, you may not know that. So I would recommend that a sergeant just, just really, um, be open-minded about that and, and just, you know, understand that if somebody, if somebody has come to a point where they, say, Hey, I need some help. The odds are they've probably been dealing with uh, it for a while. Uh, and it's, you know, to the point where they're going to say, I need that. Um, yeah. Be cognizant of that um, because that's a very difficult thing for anyone to do. And especially us cops. Yes. You know, and, and if, if they're at that point where they're asking you for help, they're reaching out to you, you know, as, as their supervisor, their supervisor, it's up to you to make sure that you respond to that correctly and with an open mind and some compassion and empathy. Um, and I think we're, I think the generation is getting that way or is turning that way. Um, but you know, clearly it's not everywhere. No, no, not with the numbers, <laughs> not with the numbers that we had last year. Um, right. Uh, you know, blue help, uh, puts up on their, um, on their website, daily uh an update of law enforcement suicides retired and current and you can just see the numbers are just right now we're on a path of of uh you know exceeding last year which is pretty scary so the good thing is is that like the doj is finally getting involved and you know blue help is being called upon to come up to you know capitol hill to start making some uh policy changes which is good i mean that's it's definitely like you said the the culture is changing because i think the uh, the demographics are changing or the age group is changing that is coming into this profession. I don't think they're, they're so much afraid to come forward and say, Hey, you know, I'm not doing real well. So that's a good sign. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I really hope it has an effect on the numbers. I think we all do. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what are you doing now? What's, uh, what's, what's your, your day to day now? How are you doing? Um, so, I'm an avid car restorer and builder and, you know, I play a lot with that. Um, you know, the, the writing of the blog that, that took a lot of time getting that started. And I think I take a lot of notes and, you know, and start journaling, um, things that go through my mind and, you know, the, uh, memories that actually were extracted if you, if for lack of a better term through EMDR, things like that. Um, and that's, just things I start to I write. I write a lot now just to do that. And then the journaling, writing a journal, I should say, uh, kind of helps clean 
that out, if, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, and that's part of the, the reason for the blog is for my own self care at this point, yeah. you know, and get uh, it out. Yeah. Get it out. You know, um, EMDR is a great thing. And I'm also doing exposure therapy, um, for triggers, but you know, I, and, and you're the, the second person we had, a we had a young lady on, um, from Texas. She was in studio. Um, uh, she works for sheriff's department in Texas. And she said the same thing about EMDR and, and, um, nothing but great things to say about it. So you're the second person I've heard that's actually used it. So yeah, uh, definitely recommended. Yes. Yeah. It works great for me. Um, you know, just, just like anything else, you know, we're skeptical when we first go into anything and, and I was, um, you know, I was very skeptical of EMDRs. Like, what is this hocus pocus? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? That's us old school cops, Dave. I mean, that's how we are. We're just yeah, like, yeah, was, yeah. But yes. Like, Okay, I guess I'll you know, put these buzzers in my hand and this is going to fix everything, you know, bullshit. Yeah. Whatever, but. I was the same way about therapy. Like, uh, and I went to therapy and I was like, I was like, I'm not laying on a couch. And the lady's like, look around. Do you see a couch? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, she goes, we haven't used couches in 20 years. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> so, I definitely funny. agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's well. And the other part of it is, is, you know, on my way over to see a therapist for the first day and she's still the same therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I told myself, I'm not, I'm not telling this lady anything until I can trust her. And, you know, but when I walked in the room and, you know, she asked, you know, I think I wrote that in the blog, she asked what's going on. I just lost it. I was, yeah. I was just right on, right on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah. went at the right time. You really yeah. went at the right time. And I, and, um, Drawing from personal experience, I was the same way. I waited till the very, very worst time. Uh, and I was the same way as you. It's just us old school cops were just like, I'm not I'm not talking to this person. I don't even know who you are. Right. I walk in there. And all she had to say was, how are you doing? And I was just like, I was like, ah, she got the magic password. So, <laughs> you know, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, then it's, uh, you know, 40 minutes of just nonstop gibberish. And uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I sleep like a baby. Then the days I go to therapy and the, the days that we film stuff, like when we take a full episode, like you said about writing stuff down, this podcast is kind of my writing down. It's my, it's my kind of deep, deep brief. So yeah. I can definitely relate to that. I can definitely relate. That's so, yeah. so new advice for a new officer coming on. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I'm a, Let's say I'm a brand new officer. I've got you know green. I'm very very green. I'm 22 years old. Yeah. Uh, just into the. I heard you laugh, <laughs> but you know that's the that's the fact. It's all 20 22 23 year olds now. Um, you know, and I want to conquer the world. I want to I want to go out there and and solve every crime out there. What's the What's the great advice that you can give to a brand new officer? Yeah. Calm down a little, right? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Not everybody deserves a ticket. Relax. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I guess that the, and I've actually said this to some of the new officers coming in when I was a detective active, you know, and, and really what it comes down to is, is don't talk as much as you listen and, you know, learn from watching and the, and the experience around you. Um, you know, don't be afraid to tap into that. And the, uh, what are they, what's it? No dumb questions, just dumb mistakes. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, concentrate on er- learning everything you can. And in the, 
divisions of say patrol or detentions if you go you know for an so or special assignments and learn that stuff as much as you can um before you ever think about going into a supervisory level um, mm. you know to me you know yeah i mean you see that anymore there's there's you know, there's guys that come on a few years and then like, oh, I'm going to make sergeant next year. And that's just, you're not there. You know? <laughs> <At> year four. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you've got so much to learn. I don't, you know, in the first four years, uh, I, don't, I don't think I learned anything, you know, no, really. No. You know? When I used to field train people, I, I used to upset the recruits because I would say to them, you know, you're useless on this job for the first five years. And they're like, what? And you're like, <laughs> Like you are useless. Like you are going to make so many mistakes the first five years by year five is usually when the light bulb goes off and you go, Oh, I get it. Exactly. That's like year five. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter what state you're in. It's everywhere. We have fifth year sergeants, four year sergeants that just four years on the job. They're as soon as they're eligible for a promotion, they're putting in for that spot. So it doesn't matter what state you're in. So I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, yeah. I mean, in some cases they're setting themselves up there for failure, you know, because pay wise too, pay wise, right. uh, depending on where you're from, you get promoted too early. You really screw your pension up later on. Uh, right. Yeah. That's, that's, a, good that's a whole other issue. <laughs> that's, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the other thing I guess I would say is, you know, don't be a tackleberry. Nobody likes a tackleberry kind of guy, you know, on the, you know, that type and tactical um, Tommy. Yeah, yeah, tactical Tommy. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they ride out of the academy. They buy the newest go bag and and they got four hundred dollars worth of toys and <laughs> yeah. can't afford to pay their bills. So yeah, <laughs> every agency. <laughs> Every agency is the same way. I've been I've worked for two different agencies and there's always a tactical Tommy in every group. Every yes, group. Yes, there is. You're right. I've worked for two small agencies and one large, and that you're right, it's exactly the truth. Doesn't it's matter. usually the one that comes into work, not the ones that don't get dressed uh at home and come in. It's the ones that come in plain clothes and get dressed at headquarters that wear five elevens and always a law enforcement sheepdog or uh, warrior t-shirt on their way into work it's always the same yeah. guys, the same guys the guys that want that wear the shirts that say i got your six all these tactical things canine shirts but they're not canine it's yeah. the same it's, it's the same <laughs> that's hilarious it's the same it's no matter where you go you can be in virginia you can be in new york you can be in colorado it doesn't matter it's the same <laughs> <laughs> so now i'll switch it on you even more which is is brand new detective um got yeah. some years under their belt they're a brand new detective uh what's the what's the advice you give a uh, brand new detective um if you have an ego leave it at the door you mm. know um and if you if you need help you got to be able to ask for help and, and when you need it you know some of those cases are just too big and the watts case was one of those uh, you know, I knew the next morning, I knew way before then, but the, the next morning we still didn't have anything to go on as far as any criminal element. Mm -hmm. um, but my gut feeling was like, this is, this is not good. And, and I called in, um, you know, the Calvary CBI and some FBI and it was just, you know, cause you could kind of tell in your gut and it's, 
you know, you got to be able to do that. You have to be able to do that. And so thank God you trusted your gut with that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, but I mean, if you have that, well, I can handle this all on my own. Um, then you're going to fail, you know, something that big. So, um, be a, you know, they want to be a, be a person first and a cop second, yeah. you know, keep that empathy and compassion when dealing with people because you're going to start dealing with people on a whole another level. Um, especially crimes against persons or, you know, death investigations, whatever, you know, whereas patrol, you know how it is, you're in and you're out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, investigations, hit you're, you're, go. huh? Hit and go. Yeah, exactly. And right? Go write a report. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you get the whole story and you live it for who knows, you know, case, I've had some cases that, that went over a year and a half, you know, before they, you know, just dragging out and dragging out. Um, those are usually the big ones that um, I had, uh, well, I think five, and, it was a five in the last six years ended up being life sentences. And those are usually dragging quite a bit. So, wow. and it's, t- and it's gotta be tough to be the family's advocate. Like you're literally their advocate as the detective. You're the one that's, that's got to vindicate what's happened to their family member. That's gotta be, that's gotta be a heavy weight on your shoulder. It's gotta be. Yeah. And that's exactly. And as you know, and as a detective, you know, a larger agencies, more resources, but uh, you're still, it's still going to weigh on you and, and no matter what, and you're going to feel that Yeah, and you're going to feel the pain of the family. And if you don't, then you probably shouldn't be in there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I, cu- I couldn't even imagine, I couldn't even imagine what you went through with that. So, um, again, I com- I commend you on that. So, yeah. um, so, uh, Dave, I'd love to have you on again when Mike is actually uh, shows up for work and shows <laughs> up at the studio. Um, yeah. If, if you've watched this show, uh, watched, I always say that. If you've listened to this show, every bonus episode Mike doesn't come to. So I have to give him crap. So when he's listening to this in his car on his way to work, um, he can listen to how lazy he is and he didn't show up to work. So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But I appreciate it. Um, uh, you want to uh, let people know again where they can find your uh, blog, what your blog is, and how to get to it. Yeah, so my blog is at uh, mental-armor.org, um, and it is a blog. Basically, it's it's my PTSD story um, and what happened. Uh, it, as I go on, it's going to be about traumatic events uh, through and, and cases that I've had throughout my career, and and. And how um, the Watts homicide case was basically the one that tipped the glass, the case that tipped the glass for me. Um, and so I just discussed that. And the whole reason for that is just to share my story that in the hopes that other people, other first responders, and that's not just cops and, and firefighters, and uh, but it's but it's everybody that's touched by these cases, you know, prosecutors, um, uh, forensic interviewers and judges, et cetera, et cetera just to bring that awareness to them um, and maybe bring some normalcy to talking about this stuff. I mean, I'm at a point now where I have absolutely nothing to lose. So this is the least I can do for people is share my story. And then hopefully, and somebody reads that and go, Holy shit, that's me. That's, that's exactly the same symptoms I'm having. And then maybe we'll do something about it before, before it's too late, you know? Yeah. And I will tell you, uh, I mean, I, we said this in the beginning, uh, you already have one, which is me. Um, luckily for me, I'd already gotten 
you know, I already went to therapy and all that stuff, but with the amount of listeners that we have, they're, they're bound to, there's bound to be quite a few that are going to listen to this or go on to uh, your blog and be like, okay, that's me. And Mm -hmm. I need to go help. I will say one thing I'm going to plug you even more, which is make sure you subscribe on the blog. Because when I did that, I got an email right away when you posted the new blog and I was able to read it on my iPhone. So even if you're mobile, it'll send you an email and say, hey, uh, David's already put a new blog out. Go check it out. You just click the link in your email and it takes you right to the blog, which I thought was super convenient. Um, The other thing is, is folks, when you're listening to this episode on your radio, I'm going to already have pre-programmed on there uh, David's um, blog address on there. So you can easily, while you're, uh, car is stopped. Please don't do this while you're driving. I don't condone that. Uh, and I'm not responsible for you getting into an accident. Uh, you can see it on your radio right now as you're listening to it. So it'll display on your radio. And then furthermore, if you subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is at Roll Call Room, uh, the video that I'm going to put up with this audio will actually have the at the web address as well. So you can, as you're listening to it, you can see uh, what the web address is. Uh, David, I want to thank you again so much for coming in. Um, super brave of you to, to, to come on and do this. I know it couldn't have been easy. Uh, we've had multiple conversations before this, and I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you did. So thank you again for coming on. You, you bet. Thank you. I'm glad, glad the word's getting out. Awesome. All right, folks, check out uh, rollcallroom.com. Uh, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And as always, take good care of each other. Hey, Mike, uh, super excited about uh, finally being able to tell our fans about our nonprofit. Yep. Super awesome. It's been long overdue. So if you guys know with all your support, um, like we said before, you guys are the fuel to our fire. We decided to take it up a notch and take it to another level on a national, more larger grand scale. And we created the Araya Guardian Foundation Incorporated, TAG. F-I-N-C, tagthink.com. We need you guys to get out here and like and share, share and like, spread, donate, contribute, so we could take this thing to the next level. We have some major, major plans for this nonprofit, and it's going to blow you guys away. Yeah. Uh, We're super excited about it, folks. Uh, On your radio right now, take a look. That's the website. Log on to it spread it on all social media outlets. We'll be divulging some really, really cool things that we're going to be doing with the nonprofit. Uh, We appreciate all you guys out there. Take care of each other. All right. All right, fans. Thanks so much for tuning in to another great episode of the Roll Call Room. I want to remind you that uh, we are on YouTube go on our YouTube channel and subscribe. We're also on Twitter at Roll Call Room. We're also on Facebook at Roll Call Room Podcast. We're also on Instagram. Uh, We're always asking for you guys to go on iTunes and rate us a five-star with a comment. Um, Helps us climb the charts. Uh, Don't forget to check out bluehelp.org. If you're struggling out there um, and you need somebody to talk to, we'd highly recommend them. Don't forget about our nonprofit, um, tagfink.com. Uh, we got some great shows coming up soon. 
And uh, we love hearing from you guys. So please email us at nick at rollcallroom.com or mike at rollcallroom.com. And always take care of each other, look out for each other, and check on each other. 